Hey, what's up? It's Frick here. I think sooner or later, everyone has some kind of a meltdown shortly after joining the circus. You know, sometimes you're in a different country, sometimes you're just on the road in a different city every week, sometimes the conditions are tough. It's not glamorous. first circus meltdown I remember very clearly I was probably 18 years old I was a clown on the Ringling Brothers Barnum Bailey Circus Red Unit and it was pretty much my first week of being on the job we were still in the rehearsal period which they call winter quarters the show was in Venice Florida you know it was my first week living on the circus train we had just moved into the train and I was assigned a room and you know you could do some things to kind of fix up your little room like you know put in a shelf or something like that and um one of the other fellas gave me the idea that i could build a bunk in that room i could sleep upstairs in the bunk and then still have the downstairs to just kind of live in comfortably so um i went ahead and got some wood i don't remember how i did the whole thing if i borrowed the wood from someone or where I got the tools. I don't know how I did it all. I also got some paint. At one point, one night, kind of late at night, around the time that some people were going to bed, I was trying to finish building the bunk part of it, and I was trying to hammer uh, some nails into this 2x4 and nail it into the walls. It was, you know, the main support for the bunk. And it was just late enough that I was thinking, God, I'm going to keep these guys awake by pounding nails at this hour. They're going to hate me. You know, I was really worried about what people were going to think about me, and it was upsetting, and I was like, kind of like going into meltdown mode. I was really getting like, sort of, is the word, I was. I want to say distressed, but it's a different word. Um, despair, despair is the word that's coming to mind. And there was one of the old-timer guys, one of the clowns who had been around for maybe a couple decades or whatever, was around at that time. His name was Richard Fick. Um, a very, very kind man and very creative and very much a part of the world of circus arts and clowning and its history here. In fact, you see these old classic illustrations of him in costume in some places on like posters and merchandise and stuff. Um, but he was there that night. Even though he wasn't a clown anymore in the circus, he was now, at that time, he was a costume designer in the circus. And he was um, staying on the circus train with us while we were there in winter quarters so that he could work late nights in the costume shop. And actually, I think another part of, the, of that was that he just wanted to be a part of Clown Alley again. And it was my first week, and trying to pound nails, trying to do it quietly, getting frustrated, and I think I was nearly in tears, and, I, and he just came out in the hall, and he looked at me, and um, I think he could just see in my face that something was wrong, and he just wanted to console me, and he didn't know it was wrong, and he didn't really need to know. He just came up to me, and he said, hey, man, whatever it is, don't worry about it. And he meant it, and I knew it, and it felt really good. It was... At that time in my life, one of the nicest things that anyone 
had ever really said or done for me. And it could have been a lot worse of a meltdown. Later that year, I was talking to one of the showgirls on the show, whose name was Janice Thatcher. And um, she had been on the show for about a year at that point, but she did recall to me that the first month she was there was a very hard one, that she had a meltdown at some point, like called home, called uh, talked to her father on the phone. She was in tears. She wasn't happy. I'm not sure when the meltdown came for my time in Japan, but that was kind of like a culture shock meltdown. I'm trying to remember. I think it was pretty early on. I think it might have been within the first few days. Somebody was trying to speak to me in Japanese. That's what set me off. Oh, I think I went to a hamburger joint. That was, and I remember after I went there, I went back to my trailer that I lived in on the circus lot in Japan and just like I went in I shut the door and I just burst into tears and had a meltdown I was like oh my god what am I doing here why did I do this because I basically packed my whole life into boxes and put it in a storage space got an airplane and flew to Japan and lived there for the better part of a year that was quite a meltdown and uh, my girlfriend at the time Allison flew to visit me there and uh when she first got there within a day i remember that within a day she had her meltdown she tried to make a phone call home and couldn't figure out like that special country code or whatever and she just had a meltdown she just flipped out i remember at intermission the show coming back to the trailer and she was in there I opened the door and I checked in to see how she was doing. I was like, how you doing? And I could see it on her face. It was like the same thing as when Richard Fick uh, saw me in the hallway trying to pound nails. I could look at her face and I was like, oh, she's having her circus meltdown. And I just told her, I said, listen, everybody, uh, when they first get, you know, on the lot for the first time, I think they just some point you just go oh my god what am i doing here and you melt down and so don't worry about it you're just having your meltdown and then you know i got her onto a, a decent phone and helped her make her phone call and that was it she was over it she had her meltdown Now, when I worked for Circus Smirkus, I'm not trying to remember. Might have been the first night. That's hard. That first night I got there. In a tiny bunk in a trailer. I got there in the middle of the night. Allison came with me. She drove me up. And I just couldn't get situated. Like, what it was that we, we came in the middle of the night and the lights weren't working in that room. So... Um, I had no way of turning on the light and figuring out, um, like, what was where in the room, like, where I was. And all I did is, like, grope my way into the bed and, fought and fell asleep with Allison next to me. It was a little tiny bed, too, by the way. It didn't really fit two people. That was rough. That was a rough first night and a lot. But it was good she was there. She She might have prevented me from going into full meltdown mode by being there. 
One time, Camilla flew all the way from Boston to uh, Orlando, Florida, uh, to, to visit me on the show. And this was a long journey. You know, she started in Boston. I think she had to get a cab to the airport and, oh my God, a clock. And then fly and switch planes. And then she got to the airport in Orlando and she had to take, I think, a city bus to the downtown bus terminal. And she'd never been to Orlando before and didn't know that bus system. But she had some cryptic directions from me, like a bus number and whatever. And you know how hard it is on buses uh, if you're not from the city because you have to guess where to get off or ask the driver and hopefully he remembers and all that. So... Anyways, she did pretty good at all that. She persevered. She got off down. Uh, she got off at the downtown bus terminal of Orlando, and then had to walk a few blocks to the venue where the circus was playing. And I was in the middle of a show. Um, she, if her plane was on time, she would have gotten there just in time to see the show. She got there at the end of the show and called. Uh, my cell phone. I was just finishing the show on the bandstand, and I said, "Okay, hold on. I'll get out of my costume, and I'll come up and find you." And, uh, I got out of the dressing room, and I I went up to the public area, the concourse where the public enters. And at that point, already they had started. Like most of the audience had exited, and they had started to lock up the doors. And I was walking around looking for her, and I saw some guards, and I just kind of knew. Like, I looked at these guards, I knew that they had thrown her out of the building. <laughs> I don't know why, I just looked at them and I knew they were the type of guards who would do that. <clears throat> so I just went out the exit, right near those guards, and she was sitting on her suitcase on the sidewalk crying. These guards were so mean to her. And she tried to explain that she was there to visit someone who was in the show and blah blah blah, and they just wouldn't have any of it. And So this poor thing, she had trekked all the way from Boston, switched planes, had delayed flights, got on the city bus, found her way all the way to the venue, and then at the last possible thing, finally had her meltdown. It was a good visit outside of that. There was some other meltdowns. I t oh, there was a great meltdown um, in the 80s. Uh, I was on the show. I was a clown. And uh, a clown was called in. Well... It's an interesting story because um, my friend Doug had the ultimate meltdown where he jumped the show. <laughs> and um, it rarely actually gets to that point. But anyways, he jumped the show. And he uh, his replacement was a guy named Alex Platt who came in and joined the show when we were in Philadelphia. And the first thing that Alex did when he, when he moved onto the train and joined the show was that he lost his alarm clock. This was an old wind-up, like, two bells on the top, you know. These things were not unheard of at that time, long, long ago. <laughs> and uh, he lost it somewhere in the room, you know. It wasn't, like, the kind of thing you had to plug in. And he, you know, these rooms are small. The smaller a room is, the easier it is to lose things in it. And he lost it in there somewhere. And uh, then he, uh, he came in the dressing room, and you could tell he was, like, pretty far set off from the transition to circus life because this really got to him and he made an announcement in our dressing room he said look I just want to let you guys know uh, it's a very funny prank but I'd like my alarm clock back and no one knew what he was talking about uh, but he figured that uh, we all knew what he was talking about and then we were just you know 
playing a prank on him. But in fact, his alarm clock was in his room somewhere, like under his pillow or something. And then he started to make the rounds over the next week or two. He came around to each one of us. There were 25 clowns in Clown Alley at that time. He came around to each one of us, one at a time, and said, Hey, look, I want you to know, I know you have my alarm clock. It's a very funny joke, but I'd like you to give it back to me. <laughs> hey, I also want to give some shouts out. Uh, let's see. I'm looking through my notes because I got some good e- Oh, I got an email from the guys at I- um, Irish Fireside or Ireland Fires. It's Irish Fireside. Uh, the guy. Not guys, the guy. Um, and I also got email from a couple of emails from a guy named Alex at um, podcast number one. Um, a few emails. I just kind of, you know, I just wanted to say, hey, to people who are subscribing and um, checking in with me, I appreciate that. It does mean a lot to me. And actually, um, also, I just, you know, when I did the postcard from Knoxville, I, apparently I sounded really depressed on it because I got some phone calls from people who were like, are you quite all right? <laughs> Thank you for the phone calls, and yes, I'm quite all right. I have a cold now, by the way, in case you can't tell, but otherwise I'm fine. I'm on the train. It's rattling around through Pennsylvania somewhere at the moment. That's what all this racket is. We're late. We're late for Baltimore. All right. I think that's it for now. Peace out, sauerkraut. <laughs>